Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're featuring a special conversation between Cinema Tropical's co-founder and executive director, Carlos A. Gutierrez, and Argentine director, Martin Reitman. A key figure of contemporary Argentine cinema, Reitman discussed his filmography and the landmark deadpan comedy, Silvia Prieto. Silvia Prieto is a 1999 comedy of details that follows a young woman through a short, precarious stretch of her life in Buenos Aires. The new restoration of the Argentine gem is now playing during Neighboring Scenes. This talk was part of the sixth edition of Neighboring Scenes, the annual festival celebrating new Latin American cinema, presented by Philmont Lincoln Center and Cinema Tropical, now playing in our virtual cinema through April 12th. Let's continue to the talk presented by HBO. Our sponsors include Amazon Studios, presenting One Night in Miami. Now nominated for three Academy Awards for Best Supporting Actor, Leslie Odom Jr., Adapted Screenplay, Kemp Powers, and Original Song, Speak Now. One Night in Miami is streaming on Prime Video. Hello, everybody. My name is Carlos Gutierrez. I'm the co-founding executive director of Cinema Tropical and with Cecilia Barrenuevo, co-programmer of Neighboring Scenes, uh, our the sixth annual edition of this uh, uh, film festival, um, presenting some of the uh, most um, interesting Latin American cinema um, uh, of the recent years. And um, it's a treat um, to, to have a, a very special guest today because we're also celebrating, um, as part of Neighboring Cities, we're also celebrating the 20th anniversary of Cinema Tropical. And it's a great pleasure to um, have, uh, have uh, one of the pioneer uh, directors uh, of Latin American cinema, um, Martin Reckman. Uh, which uh, you know, um, the story of cinema tropical, as well as the story of, re- of recent Latin American cinema, is very linked to his work and to his filmography. Uh, he was born and raised in Buenos Aires, uh, where all of his films take place. Uh, he studied film at the Escuela Panamericana de Arte in, and at New York University. Uh, his first film, Rapado, in 1992, uh, really launched a new way a new way to make films in in Argentina. And Latin America, and then um, it was followed by Silvia Prieto 19, uh, from 1999, which actually is currently streaming as part of Neighboring Scenes, uh, and you, have, uh, you haven't seen it uh, yet. Uh, it's a wonderful um, opportunity to do it. It's going to be streaming till next Monday, um, um, April 12th. And um, other films of his include The Magic Loops, The Landed Magicos from, from 2003, the documentary film Copacabana from 2006, um, the medium length film Elementary Training for Actors. Uh, from 2009, which he co-directed with playwright Federico Leon, Two Shots Fire from 2014, and the short film Shakti in 2019. Martin, a great pleasure to, to have you here with us. Thank you for, for inviting me for this conversation, Carlos, uh, and congratulations for the 20th anniversary of Cinema Tropical. I was uh, right you. there in the beginning, as you mentioned, I was, my, uh, Silvia Brito was screened uh, I think in the very, very beginning of uh, of Cinema Tropical, so I feel like um, part of, of your organization somehow. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, that screening of uh, Silvia Prito was the first one that uh, Cinema Tropical ever produced ever did uh, on February 20th, 2001 at the Pioneer Theater in the East Village. And then from there, the organization launched. And then, you know, and, and then um, later, you know, and, and we continue working with you. Um, in the releases of, of many of your films. So, you know, it's a great honor to have you here. Um, you know, I, I want to talk about, I think, uh, the pandemic, uh, you know, this historical moment is really good time to look back on what, what's happened with Latin American cinema in the past 20 years, uh, or even more in your case. Um, 
So, you know, let's backtrack a little bit. Uh, I, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, when do you when do you when did you decide you wanted to to go to film school? Um, I think when I was around 15, uh, I was uh, at high school and um, um, yeah, together with a couple of, uh, of friends from high school, we decided we wanted to study filmmaking um, and we were planning to go to Spain and study filmmaking in Madrid. I don't know why, but that was the plan. Uh, but then when I was 16, I decided that it was uh, it was. Uh, too complicated. It was going to be too complicated to make a living uh, making films, and uh, and then <clears throat> when I went to university, I started studying uh, actually history instead of uh, mm -hmm. filmmaking, thinking maybe that it would be easier to make a living teaching history or researching history. Uh, it was a little naive, but uh, you know, both both uh, professions I think are very are very difficult in a way. But uh, I just studied one year of history and then I went to New York to NYU and, uh, and, and started filmmaking. At the same time I was studying history, I was taking some film uh, courses in, in, in Buenos Aires. Uh, but actually I think that my, my, my film education started before that when I was around 13, that I was, because after school I was going to the Cinemateca de Buenos Aires uh, many afternoons to watch, um, to watch like, uh, I don't know, Potemkin or or side, other silent movies or you know the classics, uh, American classics or French classics or Italian classics, um, and many times I didn't understand what uh, I was watching. But in the program, they they mentioned that those were like for uh, like for uh, Potemkin, it was like the best film ever made. So I, I you know I was. I was convinced that it was the best film ever made because of mm -hmm. what was written there, not because of what I saw, but at the same time, I was shocked about the film because it was so poignant and, 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 and powerful. But I didn't know, I really didn't know um, how to judge uh, the films I was, uh, I was watching. I, was, I think I learned uh, to appreciate films, not with my brain, but with my senses somehow. Um, at the same time, in my in my high school, there was a, a film club every Friday, uh, which was very well curated, and and uh, there were guests, Argentinian filmmakers, coming to present their films and you know all those things. So, so I had a, a film education from from early on. And how did the opportunity to 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 to, to go to NYU happened? And I know it, it happened in two separate um, years. Uh, can you yes. tell, tell about your experience at NYU? Yes, um, of course. Yes, sure. Um, yeah, I came. I went to NYU first in 1981, uh, and I took a course that it was on the second year because since I had made some uh, film courses in, in Argentina, they gave me credits for those. So I took a course called uh, Sight and Sound. I don't know. Maybe they still they still they have it. <laughs> and it was wonderful. It was really great um, because you would get a. a you, we were divided in groups. You would get a, a, a Bolex camera with a three-minute uh, roll, a hundred feet roll of, of 16 millimeter black and white film, and you would shoot every week and edit and and do sound, and then pro project the film in class uh, for uh, you know people to watch it and, and and criticize it and analyze it. And it was a great great way of of, of learning for me. It was fantastic. It was a whole year. Uh, then I came back, I went back to NYU in uh, 85, I think, and uh, the, I wasn't so happy about it because uh, uh, the, the practical 
uh, aspect of the education wasn't uh, there anymore. I mean, you would make one short film in one semester, which was not the same thing as making one film every week. Uh, so, but but yeah, I mean, I, I in any case, I had I had a great experience there, and I was going to Lincoln Center all the time to the New York Film Festival every 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 all the time. No, every time there was the New York Film Festival, I was there. And to the Museum of Modern Art for for new directors as well. In in that sense, being in New York in the mid eighties, that was kind of a, when the boom of a then that the then American independent cinema was also starting. Um, you know, Jim Jarmusch, Har Harley, yes. um, probably the early Guzman Sand, the Coen Brothers. Did, do you think that also influenced in terms of how you? Yes, I think films? it was in the air. No, I mean, I think it was in the air. It, it, it was, it, you know, the, this this uh, feeling that uh, everything was possible somehow, that now it's gone, <laughs> even though it's easier to make a film on, on, in digital. Uh, back then, you had the feeling that you could make an independent movie and and you could, you know, it could be a success. Now that it doesn't exist anymore, I believe. It's completely changed. So how how... Tell us about Rapado, uh, you know, um, this influential film that uh, that uh, that kind of sort of uh, uh, was uh, uh, Mark uh, um, a before and after in Argentina and, and Latin American cinema. What was the impetus of making it? Uh, how do you how do you fund it? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that, about your first feature film? Yes, um, before that there was a there was another project of a feature film that I couldn't finish, and then I was a little frustrated. And uh, I started writing, um, at that time I started writing literature, uh, short stories, and I wrote a short story called Rapado. And I thought that I could develop that short story into a screenplay. Um, I did. And, uh, and then I tried to fund, to, to fund the film and it wasn't, it wasn't easy at all. Uh, at that time there was hyperinflation in Argentina. Um, I decided to go away. I went to Spain, finally. And I tried to raise some money for my film because uh, Televisión Española, the Spanish TV broadcaster, was financing Latin American films. But just when I arrived, they stopped the program. So I, I, I couldn't get any funding there. Uh, but I got some money from, um, from, uh, from the Hoover Balls Fund in, in, in Rotterdam, from the Rotterdam Film Festival. It was like uh, something very, very uh, strange that happened. At first, I went to Paris. And there I met an Argentinian filmmaker, Edgardo Kosarinski, who is a very well-known um, sure. filmmaker from the, he started in, in, in the 70s. He's from a previous generation. And um, he was really nice. And he told me, uh, if you go to, to the Netherlands, uh, just go to Rotterdam and, and uh, see Marco Mueller, because they started a foundation there that they, uh, where they finance somehow, or they give some help to, to films from the from the <clears throat> from the southern hemisphere or the third world or whatever you call it, um, from the countries that are not very uh, rich. <clears throat> so I went to see Marco Mueller, and those were other times, not these times, because I went to his office. I introduced myself. He was really nice, and he I told him I have a project. It's a, it's a film that I want to shoot in Argentina. It's called Rapado, and here's the script. I put the script on, on his desk. He looked at the script and he said, well, in two weeks, you will have $15,000. I said, okay, thank you. Um, I, he hadn't read, not even a synopsis of the, of the script, and he didn't know me. It was a mystery, I don't know, I still don't understand. 
Then the following day, I met him at an opening in Rotterdam, and he told me, I read the script, I really like it, I opened a bank account, and uh, I opened a bank account in the Netherlands, and two weeks later, I had the $15,000 there, and that, you know, made me, you know, those were, that money was for development, but I used it actually for, you know, starting it for the for the budget of the film, because it was a very low budget film. Sure. Um, yeah, that was the, the beginning. It's a longer story, but. <laughs> we can talk about other things. I felt to mention in, in my introduction that also Martino is a very accomplished writer as well, and, and also that's a that you share that with Edgar Kozarinski. Both uh, both are you know it's true. Right, both have mastered uh, both film and literature, and and I feel at home on both uh, on, on both um, um, art forms. And I'm going to get to that in, um, um, a bit later. But before that. Uh, uh, you know, Rapado had very little dialogue. So I'm curious, how, how long was it the, script, the screenplay for Rapado, that which was uh, also yeah. kind of um, very it was short. Because also, yeah, I think it was around sixty pages. So you know, it was short. The film is short, also. It's uh, seventy-two minutes. It's not. It's not a. It's a. It's a short feature. Yeah, which yeah. that's one of the main characteristics that uh, that he has very little dialogue at, uh, up until up until then. I guess uh, you know. Um, I would say Latin American cinema would overuse dialogue, uh, or uh, you know, they were very heavy-handed in, in terms of dialogue, and, and your film kind of breaks completely from that. Yeah, I made a, a short film before, uh, in, in between my two NYU, um, um, uh, how do you say, <laughs> my two NYU years. Uh, it mm -hmm. was in it was in '83 that I made it in Buenos Aires, and it was, it's a 30-minute film, and it, there's almost no dialogue. For me, it was very difficult to make my characters my character my characters talk. I didn't know how I wanted them to speak. Uh, I didn't like the way people spoke in Argentinian movies, and I had the feeling that I had to reinvent the way my characters. Uh, um, yeah, speak. I knew that the language that you speak in cinema is not the same language that you speak in the streets uh, in normal life. Uh, I knew that you had to somehow change it. And But in the very beginning, I decided that I wasn't going to use dialogue because I, want, I wanted to learn that little by little and I wanted it to be organic, not just to impose it on, on the film. So if you if you watch my filmography, if you could call it filmography, uh, Dorivelo Casa is the, the, the first short I made, and there is almost no dialogue. In Rapado, there is a bit more dialogue and a bit more humor also. And in Silvia Pietro, there is even more. In Los Guantes Magicos, even more, and it's faster and more and more humor. And then, yeah, and that's that's the way it went. So I I try to to um, to feel comfortable about uh, uh, how my characters spoke before I made them speak. I believe Rapado was never theatrical released, or at least at that moment. Um, and it was basically had a, like a very, uh, it was very little scene, but but it became a kind of a cult film, uh, but you know, among young filmmakers. When did you realize that the film was so influential, that it became influential for some so for younger filmmakers? How long, how much I, later? I was always surprised when, when, I, when people I, I, had, I think the first screening in Buenos Aires was in 93. The film was uh, finished in the beginning of 92. Uh, the first screening was in 93 in one festival. They were supposed to show another film and, uh, and they couldn't get it. And then they called me like uh, urgently, you know, do you have your film? Yeah. 
I showed it. <clears throat> and I, I never wanted to show it because I thought that there was no audience for that film at the moment, that the, the film was not, I, it, it's not that I thought that the film was too advanced or anything. I thought that there was no audience. I mean, the the, 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 the people who went to the movies in, in Buenos Aires at the time, I thought were not watching the same movies I was watching. So they were not going to be in tune with my, with my film. So I wasn't really interested in showing it. Uh, but then I said, okay, uh, you know, I, I want to show it to the crew at least and to my family. And then I, I accepted to show it in this festival. And I was surprised because two or three guys came after the screening and they, and they were really enthusiastic. And I thought they were joking, but they were, but they were really, <laughs> they were, it, it was true. I mean, they were really enthusiastic about the film. Um, and then, I don't know, I think that little by little, the film got some kind of reputation and it was released in 96, finally, um, because they called me from the Film Institute that they had opened a movie theater and they, and they asked me if I wanted to show it there. And I said, yes, but I, I, need, I, ne I really never tried to, I don't know, I was, uh, in 96, I think there was an audience for the film already because uh, mm. in the, the, we had the Mar del Plata Film Festival that created a certain audience and also a lot of film schools in Buenos Aires at the time. Uh, and so there were a lot of film students. There were two new uh, film magazines, El Amante and Film. So people were more into, <clears throat> into films that were not like mainstream. And, um, and I think yeah, in, the, in, in 96, there was already an audience. And I think from then on, um, the film is still playing somehow in different uh, venues or festivals or retrospectives or uh, or platforms so yeah cool. um when i ask you you already mentioned um dolly goes home dolly Brother casa which was uh, also you work with um wonderful rosario blefari who died uh fortunately died for the young age last year um for this uh, in the us uh, who are not familiar with the work as she was a, a very emblematic figure um singer songwriter poet and actress, um, she worked with Martin in his films. So how did you meet uh, Rosario and how did your artistic collaboration came to be? I mean, and also important to mention that she's also the protagonist of Silvia Prieto. She plays Silvia uh, Prieto. the main yeah. Silvia Prieto. She's the protagonist of Silvia Prieto. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, met I, I wrote the script for Dolly Vuelve a Casa and I wanted, um, I was studying painting at the time and um, a guy who was in the same workshop as me, uh, Martin Reina, who is now an accomplished painter, I wanted him to be the the, the main character for the for Dolly Vuelve Casa, and I knew that he had a girlfriend, and I actually wrote this the, the the part of the girl for Martin's girlfriend, even if I never saw her. Uh, I don't know. I thought that she was going to be the right person for the for the for the character, um, and one day I met her at a bar. Uh, she just stopped by to drop something for Martin, and uh, I looked at her and I said, okay, yeah, she's, she's, uh, she's, she will be Dolly. I mean, she, she looks uh, perfect for the role. And, uh, and that's how I met her. It's, it's as simple as that. I had an intuition without knowing her that she was going to be uh, the right person for the character, and she was. And then I kept working with her, and um, I wrote Silvia Pieto for her. And she was also the main character in, that, uh, in, 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 in the film that I, I started shooting and I couldn't finish in 88, so. So she was also gonna be in that other film that you? Yes, she was the main, what the main was, protagonist. Sistema Español was the 
Yeah, but that was a working title, so it didn't have a title. Is that okay? What, what happened with that, with that specific project? Uh, oh, it's a long story. Uh, <laughs> we had problems with... Uh, I had problems... The, the, uh, it's a long story. The, the, the producer was a, a German guy, and, and and he got a little... I don't know. We never, I never knew, but he disappeared one day uh, after one week of shooting, and then I heard that he did the same in Israel the following year, and and I think in Texas as well. So I don't know, um, it didn't, it, I couldn't finish it. I still have some some um, footage, but uh, I'll, never, I'll never finish it. So from Rapado, uh, from Rapado, how is that uh, you you go on to make a Silvia Prieto? And uh, I know the Silvia Prieto, the shooting went on for too long. <laughs> for years, too, almost four years to make. Yes, yes, okay. I, it, it, it's like, it took me a long time to get the the money for 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 making Rapado, and then I didn't want to wait for so long for my next film, and I decided to write a script that I could shoot with very little money and friends, and, uh, and very small crew, and that that was uh, the script for Silvia Pieto. The thing is that we were shooting on weekends, uh, and then I didn't have to wait for for the money, but I, it, the film took a very very long time to. To get made, uh, but it was a fun experience. I mean, nobody. I, I wasn't really anxious about not finish, not not finishing it. Uh, we were all friends. We were we were having a good time. I think it was a way of having a three. It wasn't four years. I think it was three. Uh, having like a three year long, uh, not vacation, but but really really fun time making making a movie. Um, and we were really good friends. Uh, the crew was changing all the time because nobody could commit himself or herself for such a long time. Uh, but the the, um, the the DOP and the focus puller were the same, Paula Grandio and Albertina Carri. Albertina now is an accomplished filmmaker. And uh, an assistant director was Julia Solomonov, who, is, uh, who lives in New York, and she's also an accomplished filmmaker. And now she's uh, head of uh, NYU film program. Uh, graduate school and um uh Iberneri know, so, was also who and was also in the and Iberneri was there too many 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 filmmakers many if you look at the credits and you know something about new argentinian cinema you will see that that many many of the filmmakers work in the film at some point uh so it was uh, adrian caetano also was an assistant oh, really? uh, but, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah 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 no it was uh it was it was fun. So who 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 accompanied you besides the cast? Which who accompanied you yeah. through there? Paula Grandio, the DOP, Albertina Carri, Nestor Frenkel, who is also an accomplished filmmaker now, and uh, who was uh, doing the sound, and Javier Taka, who was doing the sound. Uh, those were, the, I think, the, the the four people who stayed from the beginning to end. Uh, and this, and then Nestor, the sound the, the sound person, was also the the owner of the flat where where. Silvia Prieto lives in the, and that was around the corner from my house. So everything was around the corner from where I lived. The lighting equipment and everything was in my house for three years in the living room. I mean, I, there was no space to walk because at the time things were heavier than now. I mean, now the, the equipment is lighter. At the time you, need, you had heavy tripods and heavy, heavy lights. So, um, yeah, it was living that with is, the- uh... Magic Love Soup is still shot in 35, right? Or, 35. or was it already? Yeah, Silvia Pieto was uh, the Super 16, Rapado was mm -hmm. 35. 
and uh, and um, Magic Blood was 35. Celia Peter, that you you, you can see in, in in the Lincoln Center program in neighboring scenes, <coughs> was shot in Super 16, and at the time it was blown up to to 35. And uh, now we did a couple of years ago um, a digital restoration of the film, and. Um, and the scanning to 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 digital is uh, it looks much sharper than the the 35 uh, uh, millimeter blow up, so it, it looks nicer. I think it looks better. Which yes. that was the idea to show to screen the film in the in the Walter Reed Theater with a new restoration, but uh, we you know a pandemic happened, so sadly uh, yeah. we're screening uh, we're the film right. on. on but, yeah. but you know, uh, but, but here's a compromise to uh, the commitment to to show the film on the big screen and, and with you, hopefully, yeah. hopefully later this year or or next year. Oh, really hope so. Oh, <laughs> um, so, you know, Silvia Prieto premiere, if I'm not wrong, on January 1999, um, Sundance, and then Berlin, yes, and uh, and then um, you know, uh, around those years, '98, uh, uh, we took a piece of it, Refaso. Mundo Grua, Pablo Trapero was from 1999, the same year. And then yep. uh, one or two years later, La Cienaga, Baila Cruz Marte, La, La Libertad, El Salvador Alonso, which you also right. were involved producer. Bolivia, by Ben Quetano, you already mentioned. And 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 all, and all these kind of, this um, the work of this generation, which of course came with a, you know, with a, with a very strong force, was labeled the new Argentinian cinema. I'm, I'm really curious, how, 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 how do you feel it at the time? And, and how do you also feel it? How do you see it? 20 years later uh well it, at, the, <clears throat> at the time it felt it felt great because before before that uh when i made rapado and dori vuelva casa i was completely alone i mean i, I didn't I, I didn't know as i told you I, I i felt that there was no audience for my film so imagine if there was no audience there were there were no colleagues that i could talk to about about cinema mm -hmm. um but uh, when all these people started making movies, I felt that I was not alone anymore. That I could have a conversation about movies. That my movies would, you know, have a, you know, my movies were somehow connected to other movies, and there was like a kind of a family. Uh, I think that was the feeling at the time, and I still have that same feeling. I I I feel that that we are all part of a of, of a big family. Um, <laughs> I never use this image, but I think that's more or less how how it is. Even though we don't see each other very often, but when I see some some of the the, the people you mentioned, uh, we we are happy to see each other and and and, and we can have a chat and and and, and I, I watch their films. I I hope they watch my films. Um, so yeah, and and that was the very beginning. But then many other filmmakers uh, uh, came along and uh, and um, and. The movement, you know, it's it kept growing. Uh, people were, you know, very fast. They said uh, there is a new Argentinian cinema, and 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 maybe like three or four years later, they already said the new Argentinian cinema is dead. Um, I don't know. I mean, those are things that the critics say, but for for me, the the, the feeling of having other people to talk to about cinema and and to speak the same language about cinema with them is uh, it's still there. Uh, even though you could you could say that the new Argentinian cinema doesn't exist anymore as sure. as a as a uh, as a I don't know as something that the the, the the critics recognize as a trend, uh, we are still there making movies. I mean, it's kind of interesting, though, also because that was kind of that was the last labeled use in Latin America. Uh, uh -huh. But what's happened 
since then, of course, I mean, production has exploded and the great filmmakers have emerged, but, but it, it, I think that's still part of the problem. It hasn't been really fully categorized. Uh, not that we have to place uh, heavy labels on them, but, but it, it has been completely, or not completely, but largely uncategorized, which I find very intriguing. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Do you do, is there any are you team filmmakers uh, of the younger generation that you particularly admire or, or, or respect or other filmmakers in, in Argentina? You mean? Yeah. Uh huh. From new generations. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there are. I don't. I can't think of uh, right now. But, 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 but there are many filmmakers. Well, Matias Pina. I mean, there are many filmmakers that uh, that that I like and uh, I admire, and uh, I think they're doing great work, and uh, and, and and many are just starting also. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't, yeah, it, it, it's still there. I mean, we are still, sure. we are still discovering new filmmakers every year, I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, in, in many ways, you're, I guess we, we can categorize your cinema as kind of an anti-Latin American, at least in terms of what is expected internationally of, of Latin American cinema. And, 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 and probably even more so 20, uh, 20 years ago, when 22 years ago, when, when Silvia Prieto premiere, you know, that uh, in terms of, uh, in t there's like still very, very hegemonic tropes of what Latin American cinema should be in terms of highly politically, highly, highly political or exoticized and, you know, mm -hmm. and you film it and your films is kind of, kind of the opposite, you know, you're uh, talking about the urban globalized uh, experience of certain generation. Um, you also twist your stories in terms of uh, nothing extraordinary dramatic happens in your, in your films, you know, we follow kind of the characters in, 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 in their everyday lives. So how has been this kind of um, contrast in terms of uh, how, how your films have navigated the international film circuit? Um, I think I, on, on, on the one hand, I've been lucky because my films have circulated the, 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 you know, the film festivals and stuff. I mean, I haven't been uh, um, ignored, but on the other hand, I, I feel that, uh, that I'm still like um, like a like a weirdo, no, <laughs> like a freak somehow. I mean, I'm not. Uh, uh, I'm making I'm making comedies. I mean, who's making comedies today? I mean, in Latin America, uh, it's still today. I think I I uh, I don't fit in any um, label or category or I don't know. And this is and 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 this makes things harder for me in terms of uh, getting financing and and stuff like that. <clears throat> because uh, I think it's still now it's still more or less the same as when I started that the Latin American you, the people want from Latin American film the same thing now that they wanted then you know highly politicized uh, movies uh, or you know uh, things that are exotic so this hasn't changed. Our sponsors include Amazon Studios presenting Sound of Metal now nominated for six Academy Awards for Best Picture, Best Editing, Best Sound. Best Actor, Riz Ahmed, Best Supporting Actor, Paul Racy, and Best Original Screenplay. Gotham Award winner Riz Ahmed stars as a drummer adapting to his new world of silence after losing his hearing. Sound of Metal is streaming on Prime Video. I'm very curious, uh, Martin. Uh, you've, you've mentioned that uh, you've mentioned um, Hollywood films as kind of an uh, inspiration for your work, uh, particularly screwball comedies. Can you, can you tell us a little more about that, uh, that link? Oh yeah, um, yeah. It's like a the 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 world of the school of comedies for me is a, is a is is a world that is kind of uh, 
real and unreal at the same time. And that's more or less the feeling I wanted in my films. I wanted my films to be real. Uh, and at the same time, I mean, like, like I wanted that, I wanted the feeling that everything may happen in my films, but I didn't want to make science fiction. And so the closest thing to that was this cruel comedy thing, uh, where anything can happen, but still, you still have the feeling that you are in, you know, it, it, it's, it's real life. Uh, contemporary and stuff like that, and, so, and 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 this is the first thing I saw about about uh, screwball comedies that I that, that I liked, and I wanted to have some kind of uh, connection to that, uh, and also the 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 way people speak in in those films. As I said before, the, the, this idea of of that you don't speak in, in films in the same way you speak in real life and you have to invent a way of speaking. You know, the, the, the way that people speak in cruel comedies is unique to cruel comedies, the speed in which they speak, they speak. And, um, and somehow I, I also I felt a connection there. So uh, they are very important. Uh, but actually, I think I, 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 I got to see cruel comedies later than, than I got to see some European or Asian movies that that also influenced me. Uh, it's not like my first influence. And I I, I got to see other um, um, North American uh, classics before screwball comedies, like westerns and thrillers and, and film noir and all that. I think I came late to the screwball comedy. Can can you talk about um, sort of your relationship to humor? Uh, I've, I, I personally find your, your work very humorous, <laughs> and, uh, and, and 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 the use of humor uh, uh, is very precise in your films. Uh, uh, not the typical comedies, but but uh, but a very tightly constructed. Um, can you can you talk about the, your idea of humor? Because I know you also have your own perspective with with your own work in that sense. Yeah, I don't I don't think I have an idea of humor. Um, I I just like. Uh, to write scenes that make me laugh. And I think that's it. Uh, I, I don't have a particular idea of humor, right? It's not like I, I have a model on which I, I write my, my, uh, my scenes. I, I, at one point, I, you know, I, I, could, I could go in different ways when I started making movies. Like in, in Dolly Vuelva Casa is a film that is very um, uh, contemplative. Is that a word that you use in English, contemplative? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, it's very slow paced and uh, no dialogue. But then when I started using dialogue and, and I started to, to and my film started to have more speed, uh, I, I, I don't know, somehow the humor uh, uh, got into the films and I, it's, it stayed there. I, I, I cannot get, I, I can't get rid of humor in my movies, even if I try now. Um, I enjoy writing scenes that make me laugh, and I, uh, because I have the feeling that there is going to be an audience laughing with me at, in, in, in those scenes, I, I, I think it's a way of uh, of making my scenes and films alive. Um, so instead of going into the contemplative uh, way, I went into the more fast and, and, and humor. Wait, I, I somehow it happened, but uh, it, I, I could have been like an uh, art house director. Um, I, I am not. You, well, your films have been characterized as, as uh, 
or the humor in your film such characters as deadpan i guess um going back to we, we mentioned jarmusch uh in the beginning but also i guess uh where, where where the humor is in the contrast between the what what the characters are doing and the, and the situation and that's also kind of a interesting kind of link also to television to, to american sitcoms mm -hmm. yeah well in, in in the films the the what, what happens is that uh, my characters are not very conscious of, of what's going on with them. Actually, they, are, they don't think, they are not self-reflective. And maybe that's, uh, that's why they are victims of situations sometimes, and, uh, and, that's, and sometimes that's where the humor comes. But the humor is also in the dialogues, and, uh, in, 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 in the speed of the dialogues, and in the, in the way somehow one character replies to what the other character said in a way that is not expected. And um, and in the use uh, and 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 the play of words also sometimes like in Silvia Pietro when you have characters that are named uh, as objects and, and and objects that are named as characters uh, mm -hmm. all those things I think that that make a particular kind of humor somehow if I try to describe it. Sure. In, in, in that sense, I think Silvia Preto, also the Magic Loves, and of course uh, we're way ahead of of their time in terms of. Uh, for me, social your films are, 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 or I read them as a criticism of late capitalism, and and Silvia Pietro and Magic Loves were were made before the iPhone and the apps, you know, where where the relationships with human connections are interchangeable as objects, uh, when you know many characters are medicated uh, to cope with everyday life, uh, and there's a sense that you have to be an entrepreneur, you know, <laughs> which has mm -hmm. been exacerbated in these twenty years in Silvia Pietro. So. Yeah. so I mean, I find it very, very, very interesting that connection also kind of, kind of with the historical moment that we're living in terms of uh, you know, globalization and and, uh, mm -hmm. and and this moment in sort of um, economic time. Mm. I, don't if you, if you, I don't know if you see it that way or. Oh yeah, it could be. It could be. I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm like my characters. I am not. I don't. <laughs> I don't think too much about myself. I don't reflect about what I do. I don't. I don't think about about the films. <laughs> The, the meaning or, or 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 the projection of the films I make, uh, I I usually don't watch them again. Um, I'm just living in a, in a constant present, like my characters. Somehow, <laughs> I'm not like my characters, but but I have a lot of uh, similar um, features. <laughs> in in that sense, how do you how do you work with your character with your actors? Because uh, I know I know um, uh, I know I know you're like very um, what would be the word. Um, systematic in terms of how you work. Uh, so I'm, I'm really curious uh, how you work with your actors. And also, I think it's interesting to know that you, for the most part, you you, you work with the same group of actors. Uh, um, many of actors, you work with, with, with many actors and there's uh, there's uh, at least one, a few of them that have worked in, yeah, in some, most of your film, no? Some of them reappear and uh, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I write uh, roles for them. Um, uh, uh, I, it's not easy for me to find new actors uh, because I have to find people who really surrender to the the, the film I want to make. Uh, and actors many times want to uh, stand out, and I I don't want anything to stand out in my movies. Not even the not not the lighting, the acting, or the music or anything. I just want everything to be functional to to the film itself. And sometimes actors don't understand that, um, and it, it, it takes a while to to find the the, the, the right people for my for my movies. I'm not talking against actors. I'm, I'm just saying that that I need particular actors for my film. 
that, that, that understand that, that they are just part of, of something and not, not in the front, but you know, at the same level as everything else. Um, and then I rehearse a lot with them uh, because um, I, I want them to respect the, the lines I wrote and the rhythm of those lines and uh, the speed of those lines and, uh, and, and, and because every, everything ha has to have a, a certain music and, um, and, and, and I, it's like a machine that needs to, to, to work in a certain way. So we, we need to rehearse a lot just to get that. And uh, when we get that, there is a lot of freedom for the actors to, 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 to work their characters and to, to do their uh, métier. But before, before that, we need to have like a ba uh, base, which is uh, the dialogue that needs to be uh, done in a precise way. Which is a, a good little way uh, to one of the questions and, uh, and to talk about how you combine both uh, both your literary work and, and your film work. Uh, Margarita Tortora is asking, uh, you know, since you're both a filmmaker and a writer, uh, have any of your films started as a literary text? Um, and, 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 and if so, how do you translate it, um, transpose the literary text into cinematic language? Uh, yeah, um, uh, Rapado started as a as a short story that I wrote, and I um, the film is basically the short story. The, the, it was my first book. In my first book, I I wrote short stories as if they were uh, film scripts somehow. Um, I uh, using the same technique uh, in the third person present tense uh, with the descript description of actions, no thoughts. Um, and so it was easy to, it, there was still an adaptation, but it, it, it wasn't that difficult. And I also uh, picked some little scenes from um, other stories from the same book, and I, I put them in the script of Rapado. So that's, uh, that's, uh, 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 that's the, the only film I made based on one of my short stories. But Silvia Pieto, the origin of Silvia Pieto is a novel by Valeria Pavan, and it's an it was unfinished when I read it. She, she gave me a manuscript uh, of, I think, 50 pages, and um, and I used part of that novel for the beginning of Silvia Prieto. Uh, the, the idea that she works in a cafe, and then she counts how many cafes, uh, how many coffees she served, uh, the idea that she has an ex-husband, uh, well, many, many things that... Uh, the Darin Silvia come from the, in the beginning of Silvia come from the novel, but then I developed the script in another direction, completely different. So yes, I, I, I did that twice, actually. Later, afterwards, all, all my scripts are original. I wrote uh, the scripts for, uh, for, for, for the movies myself. And how do you balance play your life as a writer and as a, as a filmmaker? How do you, what do you like about the literary world that, that the film world doesn't give you, and vice versa. How do you combine yeah, for, them personally? Well, my, my life is completely unbalanced, so I don't <laughs> think I balance anything. But uh, usually, I don't do the two things at the same time. Usually, I either write a script or I write short stories. Oh, uh, but now I'm doing both at the same time. But I think I'm I'm doing none. <laughs> it's like I I I I I'm, I don't know. I'm in a moment that I cannot really focus too much. On anything, so but I have a, a short story that I'm writing, and I have a script that I'm writing at the same time. Maybe I should uh, 
drop one of them and, and just focus on the other. <laughs> what 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 is a part of a filmmaking process that you enjoy the most? Writing the writing the screenplay or or it's a sound mix actually. When everything is done <laughs> and I uh, yeah. know that uh, that uh, that's that's what it is. I don't I can't I don't struggle with my uh, idea of what the film was going to be. Uh, the film is already there, and everything that you can do in the sound mix is to make it better. And so I, I enjoy it a lot. I really like it, and I like sound a lot. Uh, and um, uh, I don't know. I like to hear details, and uh, I, I, I don't use usually music in my movies, uh, like background music or how do you say non-diegetic music. Mm -hmm. um, but um, but I like. Uh, to use sound as music uh, somehow. So that's why I enjoyed so much the sound, the sound mix. But the sound mix of Rapado was very frustrating because we didn't have any, any money. And uh, mm -hmm. I went to a place to mix the sound of the film. And we started uh, looking at the film. It was 15 minutes. And then uh, they were, you know, doing something, you know, with, you know, touching things and levels and stuff. And I said, okay, now let's go back and start. And I said, no, no, this is already done. And we had one day to mix the film. That's all. It was uh, impossible. It was terrible. Can, can you talk about uh, the use of camera in your films? Um, it's uh, because it, it, it's, it's, it's very interesting how you used uh, in a very functional way, but in a very, also very exact way. Like, you know, there's no, the camera itself doesn't attract attention. Everything is function based on the, Particularly on the, on the on the on the screenplay and and particularly on the, on the dialogues. Uh, so, can you tell how you work with your deep, with your DPs and in terms of establishing that uh, <clears throat> that style? Yeah, it depends. Sometimes in some for some films, I I did um, storyboard and uh, I was uh, you know thinking ahead of time uh, how I wanted to shoot every scene and this and that. But uh, later on, um, I I don't know why I I. I'm not doing storyboards anymore, and I'm I'm just deciding how to shoot on location at the moment of uh, shooting. Um, I think that's because I rehearse so much with the actors that I want to leave something open to the moment, maybe. Um, and 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 the way we work is that uh, we try to well for the camera position. It's very simple. We try to find a camera angle that that uh, that would work for the scene and. Um, and then the DOP uh, uh, puts the camera there, does the framing, and I look at it, and maybe I, I tell him or her to correct it a little bit, and uh, and that's it. It's not. I mean, it's not. There's there's no mystery. The 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 mise en scène is also very simple. I don't. I usually don't do camera movements. Very 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 little camera movements, and sometimes uh, pan, uh, pan shots uh, following a character. Um, but I don't want the camera to call attention to itself. I mean, that's I think that's basically what I, I don't like. Uh, I, I like the camera to be objective and to observe what's going on in front of it. But I, I don't want it to be a, a protagonist. Uh, I, I, I just I, I, I like it to register what's uh, uh, what's going on with the actress. Another. Um particularity of your films uh, that's what I'm very intriguing is uh, how they're not necessarily character driven uh, of course we have a protagonist but then but they rather become like choral 
mm-hmm. choral films in which uh, secondary characters also might sometimes might even may a, a, a play a, a more um, lead role than even the protagonist. That you, you basically it's very interesting how you combine your characters. In many of my films, there is one main character, and then there are other characters that are around this main character, mm-hmm. and uh, they connect to this main character as if they were satellites in a way, and uh, they <coughs> they um, they make the story um, um, uh, advance somehow. No, they 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 they. they, they because of them, we have scenes. Because of them, of them, we have a story. Uh, otherwise, otherwise, we would have a main character, which usually in my films is very new. Uh, the main character is very neutral, and the the, the 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 characters who are more alive somehow are the ones that are around this main character, not the main character. Um, the the main character usually is very receptive. And uh, the, the 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 other characters are more like in intruding into his or her life. Um, there is no reason for that. I think, uh, yeah, there's no reason for that. It's the way it's the way the the, the stories come to me somehow. Um, I'd never follow a method. I don't know anything about um, about uh, traditional screenwriting. Some people told me to mention like a plot point or uh, the climax or this and that. And I, I'm not aware of those things for, for good or bad. Um, but uh, but I, I just don't follow those rules. So I, I just, I think I created my own way of, uh, of writing. Uh, and sometimes uh, I get lost in writing and it takes me a while to find a way. Uh, in the end, I I, I finish a, I finish the script and I make the movie, but um, but it's it's uh, it's everything is uh, it, it's, as I said before. I'm not uh, I don't reflect too much about uh, what I do, and everything is intuition somehow. Still today, I try. You know, I want it to be intuition because otherwise it would be too like dry and dead somehow. No, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Intuition, the way by working with intuition, things are more alive somehow. What is amazing is that basically, I mean, you create, of course, these very peculiar universes, and, and reading your short stories and watching your films, you know, just basically you recreate the same universes in both formats or both artistic. Um, how do you manage uh, when you're would- writing short stories? What I would call it uh, a limitation. I'm just one person. <laughs> I can't be two. <laughs> it's like I, 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 I yeah. It's um, uh, I, I, in any case, I mean the, the short stories are a little different than from from the, from the films. I mean the world is the same, but uh, in the short stories, you can read the what the characters are thinking many times. You know, there is more self reflection uh, than in the films. I, I believe no, and uh, and I am not limited by uh, the, 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 this idea that I I have to produce what uh, in terms of getting the money for and, and then shooting uh, what I'm writing. So I have less limits uh, when I'm writing literature than when I'm writing scripts, for example. So I think that um, I can go farther 
with the literature than with cinema in terms of traveling more than in terms of uh, achieving some big goal. But I think, yeah, the, 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 there is more traveling in literature, uh, in, in time and, and space also. Another question kind of related uh, um, from Jessica Diaz. She says, as a director who writes his, his scripts, could you say the movie is complete in the script or do you or do you stick to it or does it transform as you film? No, no, I, I, I stick to the script as much as I can. Usually I, I, I'm very faithful to, to the script, but then I'm very happy when I see changes later on uh, because there is something about the rhythm of a film that is never... It, it can never be in a script, even though I have the rhythm of the dialogues in my head and, and I, we rehearse with the actors in order to get that same rhythm. But there is something about the editing, the cutting, the, the ellipses, how the ellipses work, how uh, the sound from one uh, um, scene cuts to the sound to the next scene. Um, uh, all those things, uh, you know, the colors of the film, how, one, how, the, how the images work together. In combination, I mean, those things are cannot be uh, in the script, and uh, and I'm I'm always very very curious to see the the the, the, the final result, and I'm always very surprised. Uh, it's always like a new a new film, you know. When when I write the script, I, I have the feeling that I know everything about the film, and then when I start shooting, I realize that I don't know so much. When I go to the editing room, I realize that I knew nothing, <laughs> and then I, during the sound mix, I realize that there's maybe there's something else that looks a little bit like what I wrote. And in the end, okay, there is the film, and uh, and when when I show it to an audience, um, I think it, 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 it's it's the moment when the film it's the first time it's it's it is alive, and uh, and it's something different from the script, of course. Yes, yes. In that sense. Uh... I'm curious, what was your what was your experience doing the documentary film Copacabana? Was it 2006? You know, because since you're so uh, focused on on creating very very specific worlds and 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 atmospheres and universes, you know, working in working with uh, with nonfiction is a whole different approach. How was yeah. the experience of working a working a, making a nonfiction film? It was very it was very interesting. Um, the first, it was. Um, a commission. The film was a commission, um, and I was very, very glad that uh, that they gave it to me. And um, it was it's a, it's a film about the Bolivian community in Buenos Aires. So um, I didn't know in the beginning how to approach it and how to shoot those scenes. And I started shooting in a completely different way from my fiction movies. But at some point, I realized that uh, I prefer to again to have the camera as an observer. And to and, and and to have like a big frame where where everybody could fit and to see uh, it, it was basically most of the film is um, um, dance groups uh, rehearsing for a, a festivity of the Bolivian community in in, in Buenos Aires. So uh, it it, it was re re recording them uh, basically rehearsing the the dances. Um, and, and through those uh, rehearsals, uh, just to get to know a little bit about uh, about the Bolivian community, which I didn't know at all uh, at the moment. So uh, it was re researching and, uh, and making the film at the same time. Um, 
and it was very uh, relaxing for me because I didn't have to 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 prepare anything almost. I didn't have to prepare anything with actors. I didn't have to, you know, I am also a little bit um, obsessed with uh, with the props and objects that are in the in in, in the set, and so there I couldn't control anything. And, and was, was, uh, was it in that time was liberating or <laughs> it was very liberating it was like a holiday it was great <laughs> but uh but it, it was great to little by little you know to get to know a different world which is what happens when you make a movie also uh, a fiction movie I mean. We're running out of time, but um, I still have two questions uh, um you were saying at the beginning that uh, <laughs> that I during the new Argentinian cinema, there was this kind of idea that everything was possible. 2021, um, and with uh, you know, having built a, a very strong and influential um, filmography, is it uh, as difficult as always? Uh, how is it for you? Oh, I think it's more difficult in, in many ways than before. Hmm. Yeah. Um, the production like, aspect? Uh, the production aspect is becoming more difficult, yes. It's becoming more difficult. Uh, or maybe it's the kind of projects I'm involved uh, with right now that are, are a little bit complicated. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not it's not easy at all. It's not easy at all. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's more a world of uh, series than films now, no? I think, mm -hmm. uh, for Latin America at least. Um, and... Uh, and the idea of uh, a filmmaker as an artist, I think it's almost uh, gone. You don't think as, of as filmmaker as uh, a filmmaker as an artist anymore. I, I have this feeling. I don't know. Maybe for, for very few or for filmmakers who make uh, really art house movies that are very clearly arty. Uh, when you are not making an arty movie, you are not an artist anymore. Uh, before, I think it was more flexible, um, but but right now I have the feeling that uh, everything is very, um, I don't know how to call it, uh, yeah, like uh, maybe um, conservative or the contrary to progressive, <laughs> regressive, <laughs> that's my feeling. And in that sense, how, um, how has the pandemic affected your work? Uh, um, and I heard that you were doing a film, and a, a documentary film also during this year? Yeah, I started doing a, a documentary film during the, the pandemic here last year, in like, like in May or June last year, um, about the, the delivery guys from the apps, because... Uh, the, the, there was like a really an explosion of uh, of them uh, when everything was in lockdown, and um, I I wanted to record the moment, and I was interested, and I had the idea of making this film before the pandemic, but when uh, with the lockdown and everything, and uh, and, and, and I, I decided that I had to start shooting, so we started shooting last year, and we are still shooting. It's uh, it's taking a while. Uh, most of these uh, delivery guys are from Venezuela, so I'm um, also um, trying to portray it in a certain way the experience of uh, the immigrants from Venezuela in Argentina. And uh, the idea is to to do a second part of the film in Venezuela itself. So um, as the place where all these guys come from. Um, 
and at the same time to take a look at uh, a country that is kind of a, a mystery in a way because we just hear about it from I hear about it from the media or now also um, I hear stories from these people we are shooting um, but uh, I really want to go and take a look at it and, and see what I can do with a camera there. so well, in that sense, uh, I guess Venezuela comes every. It's coming every 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 time there's elections in Latin America. Now that in Peru and Ecuador, like we don't want to be become Venezuela. Like <laughs> yeah. in any every election in Latin America these days, uh, Venezuela is taken as example for many politicians as a kind of yeah. a, a trope for for <laughs> for what the country what the country can become. Uh, even even in the U.S., I heard no during the last elections, we we, we don't want to be Venezuela. I mean, even the the. the <laughs> No, uh, the Republican Party was uh, in, in some places. I think in Florida, was a bit where we're saying that uh, the Democrats were going to turn the U.S. into Venezuela. Into Venezuela, yeah, at least been taken into 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 into, into that trope. Um, so well, so it'll be a little bit while since to watch that that documentary film. No, I thought it was closer to completion. No, it will take a while. <laughs> okay, it well, yeah. I mean, that also that I have to say, you know, knowing you for so many years, that I really admire you a lot. That you really take your time to. To make your films because uh, there's uh, also in these 20 years we also saw another trend uh but coming from american cinema that you have to be productive and you have to continue making films in order as a way to validate your own mm. your own career so I'm, I'm really glad that you you know that you really take take the time you need for each project sometimes more than more than the time i need sometimes <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's where it is <laughs> so great Thank you, Carlos. Thank you so much, Martina. Thanks to the, Great the, pleasure. the people who watched this conversation. Thank you.